We're continuing our sermon series entitled Love Song, and this whole month we're going to be going through the, the Song of Solomon, and for those of you who were not here last week, um, it's, it's a very interesting book of the Bible. I remember the first time I read it, I'm like, I can't believe this is in the Bible. And sometimes it can make you blush. Uh, sometimes you're like, really? Is this in God's word? But it's a very important book as well, though. All the books are important. And we're going to be talking about um, today reconcilable differences. So what we're looking at is, is two people who are in love and they're conversing back and forth. But before we jump into Song of Solomon, I want to share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 7. Listen, church, this is God's definition of love. We've distorted that word love so much, but God's definition of love says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and if you read another line down, it says, love never fails. Church, that's God's definition of love. we got to live up to that, right? Today, we're going to be talking about reconcilable differences, right? Today, what we'll see in the Song of Solomon, we'll see these two lovebirds. Uh, they're kind of getting into the ring. They're going to have a fight with each other. And in fact, listen, I don't care how great your relationship is. You're going to get in a fight. There's times in life that you just drive each other crazy, right? Mary and I, we, we, we got a really good marriage. We do. Uh, we've been married 27 years. We, we don't really fight. We don't. You can ask my kids. We just don't. We heavily disagree sometimes. We definitely do that. But, but we, we really don't fight. And, and it's kind of fun. I get on her nerves a lot. I, I really do. She's a saint. She really doesn't want to fight with me. And there's times, church, I'm going to be honest, I want to fight. And my wife is not a fighter. I'll, I'll start picking, and you know what I'm talking about, and she'll just look at me, and you'll see just one real big crocodile tear roll down. And that's not fair, ladies. Not fair at all. But anyways, getting back to it, we're going to be talking about reconcilable differences. But there's one place, church, there's one place for my wife and I that can really get the argument going, and it's in the car. <laughs> It's in the car. First off, my wife thinks I should have to drive all the time. It doesn't matter if I'm exhausted. It's really funny. One time when we were first married, I seriously, I couldn't keep my eyes on She goes, you have to drive. I'm the lady. And so I'm driving. We're coming home from Boardman. I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting there going like this at the wheel. My wife is staring at me the whole time going, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if we just pulled over and you drive? She goes, no, you're supposed to drive me. I'm not a good nighttime driver. But, you know, but the really, the really big time that we argue in the car is when it comes to GPS. <laughs> if we go somewhere, we don't know where we're going. My wife, she insists on being the navigator. I have to drive, and she wants to navigate, but, and that's fine. You know, you punch in Siri. How do we get here? Siri will tell you, and she'll say, hey, you know, make, make it right here in 500 yards or whatever. But my wife is terrible at telling me. First off, she doesn't like the voice, so she turns it off, and she just watches the little blue line. But here's my wife's issue. This is where we start to fight. My wife is like a puppy when it sees a squirrel, okay? You'll pass a house, she'll be like, oh, look at that house. And then all of a sudden she'll scream, turn, turn, turn. And it doesn't work good for us. So that's where our fights usually come about. But like most marriages, 
Seriously, we all know this is true, right? Most marriages, we get into some of the most dramatic disagreements, don't we? And they're usually over the silliest things. Ladies, I got a question for you. I I pondered this all week long. Why is it sometimes okay today? Like if your husband wants to joke around with you, whatever. I mean, it's okay today and you're laughing and you guys are having a good time tomorrow. And then we're... Guys are kind of slower with some things sometimes. And so we're thinking, that was fun. And so the next day, we try to do the same things. Like, get away from me. I'm sick and tired of you, right? Why is it, ladies, is it okay today, but it's not always okay tomorrow? I'm asking for a friend. I am. (laughs) Why is it okay sometimes that way? (laughs) That's right. That's right. But today we're going to be talking about um, how we learn to reconcile our differences. Church, how we learn to fight fair. You know, healthy couples, listen, healthy couples, they'll fight clean. They will fight clean. Unhealthy couples, they will fight dirty. Healthy couples will work towards a resolution. Unhealthy couples will fight for victory that that they got to win no matter what. That's an unhealthy relationship. And the fact is, church, if one of us wins, listen to me, if one of us wins, then actually both of us lose. True story. We have to both learn to win together. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at Solomon and the Shulamite woman and see, if you remember from last week, these two, they can't keep their hands off of each other because they are so in love. But today you're going to see that they get in a little tiff. So if you'll turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 5, we're going to dig into this today. Song of Solomon chapter 5 and in verse 2, this is him saying to her, He said, but I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. So he's he's trying to flatter her, trying to come to her, right? And then he goes on to say in verse, the second half of verse 2, he says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. So, okay, this guy's coming to his wife. It's nighttime. You know, he's got dew on his head. So it's nighttime or crazy early morning. He's just getting home, and, and, and he's coming to her, and he's got something on his mind, church, if you know what I mean. He's got something on his mind, and, and, and he, he's coming to his wife. And, and so come to think about it, come to think about just about all the time, there's one thing on a guy's mind. So, so he's coming to his woman, and he wants a little bit of romance. And so we pick it on up here. And he's coming to her from the outside air. The Bible doesn't tell us if it's late evening or early, early in the morning. It's saying he's coming to her. And he's like, hey, baby, op- open the door for me, right? Now let's review for a minute last week, if you will, with me. In case you missed her attitude towards him, last week she, she said, strengthen me with raisins. And for those of you who weren't here, raisins are an aphrodisiac, and that's what they thought back then. And so in last week's verse, she's like, hey, give me a bunch of raisins, big boy. That's what she was saying. <laughs> and then she also said, she said, his left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. So they're close. They're a very close couple. So he's coming to her and expecting some romance. And check out verse 3. 
This is his woman speaking to him. The Shulamite woman, she says this, I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. I, I want to look at the very beginning of that right there in verse 3. So, so she's saying, like, listen. She's saying, I've taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet, must I soil them again? And so if you translate this from Hebrew, she's saying, I got a headache. That's what she's telling him. That's what she's saying. She's saying, go away. And, and I mean it, go away. And here's what's happening. He's coming, wanting romance. She's not in the mood. You know, she's tired because she was waiting up for him all night. Remember, he got dew on his head. That means he's been out for a long, long time. She got tired of waiting on him. And so today, what I want you to get out of this church, there's two big root causes of conflict. This is in all relationships, not even just married relationships or dating relationships. There's two root causes to any relationship. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to identify what is the biggest problem in our lives. We're not just going to look at Solomon and the Shulamite woman. We're going to look at our own lives. And I want to remind you, if you're not married right now, right? If you're not married or if you are a widow or a widower, I still want you to pay attention. This is still for you because you can help somebody else. Our teenagers, pay close attention, and we don't teach our teenagers enough how to go into relationships. We just expect them when they're 18, hey, go get them, tiger. And that's why a lot of them are messed up. We need to learn and pay attention about our relationships in the future. So I want us to identify what's the biggest problem in our lives. The root causes of conflict, number one is this, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations, right? We, we think something should be one way, and it doesn't turn out to be that way. We, we see this on some degree in even other relationships, right? Not just in marriages, not just in dating relationships. It can be in other relationships, like, right? I can't tell you how many times just I would get all excited at Christmas time and, and I would go looking for the perfect gift for my kid. I mean, I'm traveling all over the place trying to find it. I'm thinking they're going to be so thrilled. I'm thinking they're going to be so excited. And they open the presents and go, oh, what's next? Unmet expectations on my part. I'm like, what, you ain't excited? Right? It's an unmet expectation. But in the Song of Solomon, she's expecting him to come home, church, probably earlier. But he's not at home, and so she is kind of awake. I just picture her, like, looking at her watch, right? Like, where's he at? Wonder where he is. He hasn't even texted me. This dude's in so much trouble. I'm going to kill him. He's dead when he comes in here. And he comes in. A man brought his grapes with him, okay? <laughs> he wants something and she doesn't. It's an unmet expectation. See, in marriage, church, you can see it in numerous different ways in your relationship with your husband or your wife. You know, I see it all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've married someone and literally two weeks later, they're back in my office saying, oh, I didn't understand this. You know, they, they, they come in, you know, and, and the girl, she's singing like, my daddy, he fixed everything at home. He fixed all the things in the house. My daddy took out the trash. My daddy paid all the bills. This guy, he don't know how to fix squat, this guy that I married. He don't even know what he's doing. He doesn't even want to take the trash out. He don't even want to look at the bills. So we got tension, right? You know, and, and he's, going, he's going like, my mom, she cooked all the time. We never had to go to McDonald's for supper. <laughs> my mom, she, she, she did these things at my house. 
unmet expectations. I want to give all you guys who are single, still haven't been married yet, a um, piece of advice I learned the hard way. You never, ever tell your new brand new wife when she puts food in front of you, say, my mom didn't make it like this. Experience. My wife said, well, then you might want to go to your mom's house and have her make you some, right? You don't do that. Just a personal advice for you. So there's unmet expectations here. There's tension starting to rise. And, and I don't know how this is going to hit you this morning, church. I don't know how it's going to hit you. It, might, it could be at a deeper level for some of you guys. Maybe you've been married seven years and you're like, man, this isn't what I thought marriage was going to be like. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Maybe you're married 15 years and you're like, man, we can't even get along at all anymore. Maybe you've been married 20 years and you're just like, we're just staying together for the kids. That's the only reason. And one day you wake up and you're basically just a little more than roommates. You're just a little more than roommates. You're sharing the bills. You're living in the same house. But man, you are so distant from each other. And you realize, church, you you realize this. You're not the husband or you're not the wife that someone thought you were going to be. So you have unmet expectations. The second big root of problems in marriage is this self-centeredness. Man, if you're writing stuff down, you better write that one down right there. You know, Solomon, he, he comes in wanting, he wanting some relations at night, okay? He's coming in wanting that, and she's like, I'm tired. And both of them, they're thinking of their own needs only. They're not thinking of their spouse. Neither one of them is thinking about the other person. You know, it's like, I want this, and, and I want something different. Therefore, we got a problem here. It's self-centeredness is what that problem's called. See, this can happen in any relationship. You know, girls, you like to talk, don't you? You do. You, you like to throw your feels out there. You want to you wanna talk about things, right? And, 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 you know, she wants to talk. You, she, you come home from work, man, she wants to talk, and she wants to share her feelings, and, and she wants to connect. And, and dudes, we're a lot shallower than that. You know, I always used to put it this way in premarital counseling. A woman, her heart is like a deep, vast ocean. Guys, you're like Beaver Creek, man. <laughs> it's the truth. That's what we are. It's truly what we are. And, and so she's wanting to share her feelings and connect with you. And you're like, man, I just want to watch TV. I worked hard today. And you're just, just clicking, right? And with a guy, it's not what's on TV. It's what's next on TV. That's all we do is click, click, click. So it devastates her because she wants to talk. Or perhaps one person wants some physical intimacy and the other person doesn't. So tension boils up in the marriage or or she buys something. She buys something and the guy's like, why would you buy another purse? You got seven in there. I don't understand why you need another purse. Every time you go out, you, you need another person. And she's like, well, how come every time the new iPhone comes out, you get upgrade? Why is that? Right? You fight about money. Who spent what? Who spent it where? Who did this? Church, it's selfishness. It's this is what I want. And you never do what I want. We always have to do what you want. You're always thinking about it yourself. See, selfishness, it seeps into relationship. And then suddenly we have a problem, church. We are a self-centered people. We really are. 
And I want to pause just for a moment. Listen to me. If you are dating right now or you're, you're thinking you're going to be dating, I don't care how old you are. If you're dating someone right now and you're fighting all the time, I mean, your relationship is basically one great big argument. That's not a good sign. When you are dating, it's supposed to be a time of enjoyment, of getting to know each other and experience a relationship. But often what happens is we're fighting and we're fighting and we're fighting. You're not getting along. Some of you, you like the drama. Be honest with yourself. You do. You like it because you wouldn't keep doing it if you didn't. But what often happens is they're fighting and they're not getting along. And, and, and so when, when we fight, we're supposed to find that resolution. That's good if you're doing that. But if it is constant fighting, then here's what a lot of people think. Like, I know what we'll do. <laughs> we're going to get married. That'll cure everything. We won't fight anymore if we get married. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Wrong. It's not going to work well that way, right? Or, or maybe you are married and, and you're fighting all the time. You're like, man, I know what will make it better. Let's have a baby. Mm-mm. Ooh, that brings a whole other di- dimension to the craziness in your house. See, that's not a good thing. See, if you're always fighting in a de- dating relationship, that's your warning signal. Dating should be a smooth time, church. It's where you're growing together. It should not be chaotic. So now think about this for a minute. For for what is the biggest root cause of tension in your relationships? Whether it would be a husband and wife, whether it be somebody you're dating, whether it be a relationship with somebody in your family, what's the biggest cause of tension in your relationships? Do you find it's unmet expectations where you are wanting them to be something that maybe they're not? You're wanting to be something or not. Therefore, you become bitter. You become upset. You become irritable. Or is it quite honestly that you're a very self-centered person? If that is an issue for you, I pray today, honestly, listen to me. I pray today that the Holy Spirit brings you to a better place so that you can see it for what it is. Let's go back to Song of Solomon chapter 5. And I want to look at, I want to remind you about Verse 3, remember, she says, I've taken off my robe. I must put it back on. I, I clean my feet. Must I get them dirty again? And then very one verse later, listen to me. There's chapter 3, she complaining. Chapter 4, she says this. Oh, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. The switch flip. And so I couldn't understand this. So... I asked someone, a woman that was very close to me, I'm not naming names, and I said, explain this to me, and she's like, she changed her mind. (laughs) She just changed her mind, just like it, she changed her mind. And you ladies, you ladies are like that. (laughs) You all are like that, and that's what she did. And this woman says, well, what's wrong with that? She changed her mind, what's wrong with that? You know, I I don't want you now, but I will want you later. She changed her mind. Check out verse 5 with me. And it says, I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with, with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So she got up and opened the door, and there's myrrh on there. I had to do a little study, and I'm not that smart. Myrrh is what, liquid myrrh is like a romantic fragrance. He put that on the door. To remind her of him. Like, hey, I was here. 
I was here for you. He puts it on the door and he walks away. He's deciding, I'm not going to force nothing in this relationship. And, and he walked away. And, and check out verse 6. It says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. And my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. So this woman went, get away from me. I'm going to kill you. She's like, man, where's my man? Right? That's what she went to instantly. And so she changes her mind, and he leaves. He leaves. He said, I better do the right thing. She wants to kill me. So I'm going to leave. And now she's upset. See, there's something going on here, church. So if you read forward, and I'm not going to cover this with you. I, I highly recommend you go home and read this. If you read forward, it's a very disturbing portion of scripture and I'm just going to summarize to you what happens she goes looking for him she goes outside looking for him she can't find him and and for whatever reason the watchmen who are out there keeping guard they see her and they're not sure who she is and why she's out after hours and what they basically did is they humiliate her they hurt her physically and emotionally these watchmen and I want you to see something here today church I want you to see that something very small, something very insignificant an issue in their marriage, it led to something very big and very damaging. It started with something small, right? It's kind of that thing that that we struggle with each other, right? You know, I want to be on time. You're always late. You're making me look bad, right? It's one of those things where, you know, I, I bought something. I know I bought something I didn't tell you. Now you don't trust me anymore. There's mistrust in the marriage. Or maybe I did something wrong and I didn't apologize. That's big in my book. (laughs) I did something wrong and didn't apologize for it. Now there's tension. There's tension in this relationship. Or I was inconsiderate. I was inconsiderate and I didn't tell you I was running late. These are small things, very small things, church. But listen, if they are left unchecked, they can become very, very big. They become very big. See, we tend to think, we tend to think that, that, that we are fighting the love of our life. When we are fighting someone that we love and, and very much care for, we end up looking at them as the enemy. We do. As you're fighting with them, you end up looking at them as the enemy. And see, this person is never the enemy, church. This person is never the enemy. And some of you, when you have those fights, huh? I'm one of these guys, so I'm talking to myself here. You know, I've got to win. <laughs> I'm one of those guys, I've got to win. I, I mean, some days it gets the scorched earth policy. I'll burn this whole place down just to prove that I'm right. But those small things turn into something big, and then we begin to look at the person that we love as the enemy. And listen, church, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it tells us who the enemy is, and it says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is who the enemy is. It's not the person that you love that you are having a disagreement with. And some of you, you might be thinking, like, my loved one is the enemy. You're thinking wrong. But when we are out, when we are unguarded, the real enemy, he will come and damage your relationship. 
He would damage your relationship. You know, your spouse is not the enemy. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend is not the enemy. Your family members, they are not your enemy. Listen, we need to be on the same side of the table. We need to be fighting for victory, and we need to be fighting for resolution. If we leave something small, listen, something very small, unchecked, it can grow into something huge and very devastating. So Solomon and his girl, man, they're in a fight. And so what I want to do for the rest of this message is to give you something very, very practical. Very practical. And I personally just don't want to give you knowledge, church. I don't want to just give you knowledge, but I want you to apply it to your relationships. It's going to change the way you relate to each other, and it's also going to change the way that you grow in Christ. So how do we resolve conflict? First one is this. I will respond and not react. Listen to me. I will respond and not react. Responding and reacting are two different things. I will respond by the spirit instead of reacting in the flesh. I respond in the spirit instead of reacting in the flesh. Instead of barking and growling and going back and forth, I will let the spirit lead me in response. Sometimes we just want to, ah, don't we? We, we really do. We, we want to go toe-to-toe, and, and we just got to throw it all out there. And we're, what we're doing is we're reacting to it. I had an eye-opener just a, a few years ago. I was in my garage, and, and the youngest one of the Blakely household, Jacob, we were going at it. We were going at it pretty hard, and he and I are both people that we got to win. You put two people that got to win, it gets ugly fast. And suddenly I'm screaming and barking, probably drooling a little bit, and, and Jacob looks at me and goes, how did we get here? Yeah, it, it hit me right there that, like, it's true. How do we get here? Something starts so small, and it turns, in, turns into something absolutely huge. And so rather than reacting according to how I feel, we act the way we, re, we I'm sorry, we respond the way the Holy Spirit would want us to respond. See, I love what Solomon appeared to do. He appears to respond. He didn't react. He said, I'll put a little cologne on the door so you'll know I was here and you'll think of me and I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Rather than reacting on how we feel, we respond the way the Holy Spirit would call us to. Church, he could have gotten mad. He could have gotten mad and just bolted out, but instead he put that, that special stuff on the door and all. And he basically said, this is my act of love towards you, girl. Maybe we can talk later. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. I love how it puts it right here, church. Listen to me. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? What happens if someone does something? That's like, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, just like Brendan's song. Yeah, I am. Hope your brakes go out today. Sometimes we act like that. Don't act like I'm the only one that does that. You know it's true. You do it too. Right? We, 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 we go into that, but the Bible says, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By having the right thought process. And why is it in our relationship when we think we are being attacked? Well, oftentimes we have to defend ourselves. And what we end up doing is we, we want to start criticizing that other person, don't we? Well, you know what you did 10 years ago, right? Or you're fighting about this one thing and then you say, you always look ugly in that shirt. 
right? You want to criticize that person. So we need to think logically for a moment, right? What relationship in the world, you can't name one, what relationship in the world gets better with criticism when people are criticizing each other all the time? If your best friend criticizes you all day, they're not going to be your best friend much longer, are they? But in marriage and relationships, we tend to think that criticizing is actually going to make things better. It only makes it worse. Did you hear what I said, church? It only makes it worse. So what do we do? We are never, we're never told to try to change our spouse. For those of you who are into the fixer-uppers, <laughs> you don't talk about, oh, I'm going to fix you. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that out of you. I'm going to work on you. Listen, that's not how it works. We're never told to try to change our spouse. See, men, listen to me, guys. You realize, guys, you hold, like, the great big bag in the relationships? It's the way it works. For men, we are told to love our wives. We're told to love our wives, not to be harsh with them, but we are called to be considerate with them and to treat them with respect. Men, that's your job. Biblical. Ladies, oh, guys, you're also called to love them and cherish them. You know what it means to cherish something? Look that one up for me, will you? Ladies, your job, the Bible tells us, is to respect your husbands. You respect them. And then the Bible goes on to say this, and you submit to one another. You submit to one another. See, we're not trying to change each other. Your job is not trying to change that other person. Here's what it is. We let God change us. You're not the changer here. God is the changer. He's the one who's going to change us. See, we let God do a work in us and in our spouses. We let God do that work. You realize you're supposed to be praying for your spouse. You are. You know, like, Lord, you need to get that out of them. She likes to spend money, Lord. You need to rein her in. That's not what I'm talking about. You pray for your spouse. What is powerful, church, this is very powerful, is your prayer may not or it may, it may change them. But I promise you, your prayer will always change you. Every single time, it's going to change you. See, we're not going to react in the flesh, but we're going to respond in the spirit. And the second way that we handle it is this. We will focus on the good and not the bad. I'm going to repeat that to you one more time. We are going, you listen in church, we are going to focus on the good and not the bad. We focus on the blessings. See, this is what the Shulamite woman did. If you read on, you continue reading there in Song of Songs, verse 5, she is thinking about her man, and she talks about all the features that she loves about him. Read it. It's really funny, some of the features she says, things that she adores, things that she admires, things that she loves about him. I'm talking all the good qualities. And so no matter who you're with, church, no matter who you're with, they are not going to live up to 100% of your expectations. They're just not. We're all human. We have flaws, right? It's impossible. Nobody can ever meet all your needs. You know why? Because you're needy, extremely needy. We are needy people. There's nobody who's going to meet all those needs, but if you're wanting 100% and you're getting 80%, that means there's 20% that is missing. That's pretty good. You're getting 80% of your expectations. That's excellent. But you know what? Here's what stupid people do. 
Stupid people do this. They'll see that 20% that they're not getting in somebody else. And they are willing to sacrifice the 80% they're getting to go get the 20% that they want in someone else, only to end up incredibly dissatisfied because they had no idea how good they had it. I see it all the time. Church, don't walk away from your spouse. You look for the good. You look for the good. You take an inventory, man. If you're dating someone that the bad is like, woo, and the good is like this much, get away. You get away from them. And you go look for what is good. See, those who are dating, if you're just dating out here today, listen, don't go for the flash on the outside. Don't you dare go for the flash on the outside. You look for those who are good. You look for those who, who have a good heart. You look for those who want to do good. You look, Ladies, listen to me. You look for a man who desires to do what God has called him to do. That's who you look for, who has a desire. I'm not just not talking like, eh, maybe I will. I'm talking a desire. I want to do it right. I want to have a good relationship. I want to go to church. I want to be with God. I want things to go well. Ladies, that's the man that you look for. Ladies, don't go for them bad boys. They're going to leave you hurting every single time. Every single time. You look for the good. Guys, don't go for the flash either. You look for that girl who has a desire to be obedient to God, who wants to be a good woman, who is trying really hard to do all the things that are right. Ladies, I mean, guys, that's what you look for in a girl. That's what you look for. And then here's what you do. You'll talk the talk. And listen, don't walk out. You talk and you don't walk. You got to talk things out. You talk it out, you don't leave. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. I'm rolling along here, guys. It says, if you're in your anger, do not sin. That's a hard one, isn't it? We'll come right out of the gate. In your anger, do not sin. It's really difficult not to when you're angry. But it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The Bible is saying that the day is short and your anger should be too. How many of you guys who are married, you go to bed angry and you do the classic, I'm not looking at you so you're facing back to back. Some of you ladies, you're sitting there, what you'll do is you go, Silent in the room, right? You're facing back to back. You go, ah. You know what you want. You want to say, what's wrong, honey? So you can tear into him. That's what you're doing. You know it's true. Or guys, you're like, I ain't going to let this bother me. I'm going right to sleep. I'll go to bed angry. I don't care. Right? That's what we do. But it says, do not let your anger, do not in your anger, let the sun go down while you're still angry. I'm sorry. And it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do you understand what that means? It says, don't give the devil a place. The foothold can be translated as a guest room. Don't give the devil a guest room. Are you going to prepare a room for the devil in your house? Say, hey, why don't you hang out here? No, you're not. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a uh, guest room. Don't let the devil in your house. Church, don't let him in your relationship. If there are evil things going on in the relationship, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. See, we're all going to fight, but how we fight determines the strength of our relationship, church. Here's what happens to Solomon and the woman. 
He shows back up. They make up. They forgive each other, right? They have a, a great line here, if you'll look at it with me, in, in Song of Songs, in chapter 6, verse 5. He's saying this. He said, turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. He's basically saying, man, your beauty, I just can't take it. That's what he's telling her. And he says, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> Guys, don't do it. <laughs> you will get nowhere. That, different time. Different time for sure. But we watched the relationship go from good to not so good, then to way better. And here's how we're going to wrap it up. In Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. He says, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. I want you to hear that. He said, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley. He's saying, in my relationship, there's new growth. We made it to another level. See, some of you guys might be in that place where you're seeing new growth in your relationship. That's great. But some of you might be in a place that's not good. I mean, you were there. You've been in that place for a while. It's not good. It's getting worse. But I want you to know, church, with the help of the Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus Christ, there can be new growth. Because you know what Jesus says? He says this. He said, I make all things new. That means everything. So as, as I ask the praise team to come up here, this morning, if you're in a relationship, if you are focused on your relationship with Christ, you're going to be amazed what's going to happen in your relationship. Seriously, you're going to be amazed. If you're focused on your relationship with Christ, single people, listen to me this morning. If you are focused on Christ, I'm talking about you are striving to be Christ-like. I'm talking about you are trying to do what God has called you to do in your life. You're focusing on him. You're, you're not focusing on these guys over here that are so stinking worldly. I mean, there's nothing good that they're doing that should be interesting to you. And guys, if you're looking at these ladies over here, that I mean, oh, that everything that they're doing is not good. Don't look their way. You look ahead. You focus on your relationship with Christ. Single people, that's what you do. Andrew Hill, one of my great friends, he, one day I told him, I said, how do you know you're going to find the woman you're looking for? And he said this, he said, I'm going to run towards God as fast as I can. He said, I'm going to look to the right and I'm going to look to the left. And whatever girl is keeping up with me, that's her. That's who I want. And so this morning, I want you to know, you're gonna mess things up, church. We all do, right, in our relationships, we mess things up. But if there are two people seeking Christ, if there are two people seeking Christ, he will give you something better than you can ever ask for. And it comes down to this surrendering and asking Christ to have his perfect way in your relationship. Whatever your relationship is, you surrender and you say, God, I want you to have a perfect way in it. So I'm here to ask you this morning, are you ready to surrender? Maybe today you're sitting here saying, I'm realizing every relationship I ever have, it's all about me. It's all about my likes <laughs> on social media. It's all about what people perceive of me. It's all about what I can get from the relationship instead of what I can do to invest in that relationship. And then they are investing back in me. 
Maybe this morning you're sitting here and say, I'm easily offended all the time or I'm easily angered. You see, you want something different. It comes through Christ and Christ alone. In all your relationships, they have to be centered on him. And when they're centered on him, they will become better. Maybe this morning you're just looking at yourself and you're saying, I'm completely self-centered. I'm not even in a relationship. Maybe you are in a relationship and you realize you are self-centered. And listen to me, that means you're only thinking about yourself. But Christ says, you surrender all that to me. If you surrender all that to me, I will make all things new, he says. So if that's for you this morning, you want to surrender, you come forward. Let him pray for you. Let them show you what it is that God has for you. Maybe you're in a great relationship, but you realize you haven't been towing your end of it. Surrender it to him. He will show you what you need to do to fix it. Maybe, just maybe, church, you realize that you are completely all alone in this world. I'm talking you don't have any relationships around you, maybe because you burned them down, and you don't even have a relationship with God. What a horrible way to go through life. And let me tell you how it ends. Permanent separation from your heavenly father. Permanent, never to be reversed. Because when we all take our last breath, our relationship has to be right with him. And nobody, I don't care if you're 12 years old or 112, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It's important to make it right today. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.